0: The longer I work in cinema, the more convinced I am that this domain of art is not ruled by any laws. I do not even attempt to find them. Everything is possible. Andrei Tarkovsky That quote is by... The filmmaker Andre Tarkovsky, and if you can remember back to the first episode of The Mirror, I also started that episode with a quote from him, and I guess that's sort of an entryway into a little bit of a series that I want to do talking about the the uh, the life, the work, and the philosophy of that man, Andrei Tarkovsky, a Russian filmmaker because in so many ways as I've been you know taking this journey through understanding cinema and film history and and the art world at length um, I think the one the one figure I guess that I can always come back to time and time again who has influenced me in some way even though I have not even seen his entire body of work but just reading his words and and hearing him speak in in interviews and you know just seeing the impact that he has had on on not only myself but other filmmakers that I look to for some kind of inspiration or understanding about the the art that I create um yeah he he's just been that that one figure time and time again who just seems to make everything make sense and before we go too much further i will of course say Hello and welcome to The Mirror. I'm Justin Reed and I almost forgot to introduce the episode. But I guess, I mean, that's that's how it is with, with Tarkovsky and his work. For me, it's just something that I, I feel deeply. And like I said, I think this will be the first of probably a few episodes spread out throughout the, the tenure of this project, speaking about him and, uh, you know, things that he said and believed and and that show up in his artwork but also uh, the lessons we can learn from him and like things that I have taken that I think I would like to share with other people and to share with my audience because they've just had such a an impact on me and I think he he and his beliefs uh, have been such a huge inspiration to me and continue to be so and on those occasions where I, I read something that he has said or written it always sparks something within me and and makes me reflect in, in, in a pretty deep and thoughtful way. I mean, like I said, if there's any one figure that has kind of shaped my ideology of creating art, it it would be him. But I think, I think as we go through some of these, um, like I'm, I'm going to read some, some things he said and then, and then speak about them. I think as we go through them, uh, i think you can kind of understand and like see the link uh that i have to him in terms of like the way that i approach things and the the things that i've been talking about that in, in this in this you know project from 2021 that he was talking about 50s 60 70 years ago and and the way that i uh i guess you could say advocate but it, if that's not the right word the way that i you know, speak about what I think is very important about going back and understanding art's history and, and experiencing different kinds of art and, um, you know, being very mindful and, and um, reflecting on the kinds of work that you're consuming as well because that will have like a deep impact on the work that you're creating. So we'll jump into it. And I guess I just wanted to start with a bit of background about Andrei Tarkovsky before we begin, before we begin uh, in earnest, because I guess if you've never heard of him, I think his, his story is, is useful in understanding, I guess, what kind of shaped him and, and the work that he created, um, as well as sort of then when we unpack uh, the, you know, the the, the words and, and writings that I, I've selected for this episode, I think it will give an even more deeper understanding of, of the man behind these ideas and, and his artwork. He was born in the 1930s in Russia, but by then it was the Soviet Union. I don't want to go too much into his early life here because it kind of... I think the best way to understand his life is to watch his films because in a large way, a fair few of them are quite autobiographical. And because he deals with ideas of time and memory in his work, I think that's the best way to really understand like what his experience growing up was like as he grew up, he had a a strong interest in, in art. Uh, His father was a poet and poetry later um, played a, a huge part in the films that, that he created and, Basically that interest in art led him to, uh, art and cinema led him to the VGIK Institute of Film where he studied and made his student film which was called The Steamroller and The Violin which won an award at a New York Film Festival in 1961 and then after that he made throughout his lifetime seven feature films before honestly his quite early death in 1986. So these films were Ivan's Childhood, his first feature, which was released in 1962, Andrei Rublev, Solaris, The Mirror, Stalker, Nostalgia, which was produced in Italy, and his last feature film, The Sacrifice, which was produced in Sweden. So not too long after the production finished of his film Stalker, which I would say is probably his most well-known film, and if I were looking to get into Tarkovsky, that's where I would start. I mean, it's literally where I started with his work. It was the first film of his that I saw. And, uh, I mean, I'll leave it to you to 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 watch it and to kind of take from it, um, you know, what you need to take from it. But for me, it was a pretty trans, uh, transcendent experience. That's the only way that I can put it. So not long after producing that film, he defected from the Soviet Union due to conflicts about like the content and approach of his films with the state. Um, They believed that his work was sort of anti-Soviet propaganda. And I mean, I would almost agree with that because I I don't necessarily think that it was that he was specifically anti-Soviet, but that he, he just longed to express and create in the way that he wanted to. And the state wanted to have a hand in all of that as they did in, all major artworks that were produced in the Soviet Union. So yeah, I would say in some ways it was anti-Soviet, but not just for a political statement, but because it just stood in the way of how he wanted to express himself. And as I mentioned, his father Arseny was a um, poet and poetry formed such a deep part of his filmmaking from the sort of dreamlike imagery to the dialogue and in films like the mirror he actually included some of his father's poetry it was like his work is deeply spiritual and philosophical and and i've kind of spoken about it before but like the reason why <laughs> the reason why i i even am attracted him act, attracted to him so deeply is because i really resonate with the way that he really s- like is strongly outspoken about the way he feels art should be approached and free from any commercial influence or or trends and I honestly think his work is like completely exemplary of this it's spiritually expands like upon the works of who who he deems are the masters of filmmaking like he looked up to uh, a uh, a, well I don't want to say looked up to but he he regarded himself in a certain class of poetic filmmakers like Robert Bresson and Ingmar Bergman And he extended further the possibilities of what, I guess, Paul Schrader calls transcendental filmmaking. And I'm going to put a link in the episode notes for you to watch. It's a really quick video that really explains what transcendental filmmaking is. And, I mean, I'm deeply interested in it. And I guess probably Tarkovsky was my entryway to that. But it is such a a fascinating and uh, deep and interesting Uh, type of filmmaking that I guess because of the nature of it really doesn't get any sort of mainstream acclaim but it is definitely beloved by film audiences it is beloved by filmmakers definitely and yeah like like I said his work to me is incredibly spiritual and philosophical and I mean watching Stalker for the first time for me like I said was transcendent which is you know, pretty apt considering Paul Schrader classes it as transcendental filmmaking. But for me, it was just like the first time I'd ever seen something, and and the question in my mind wasn't, "Is this good or is this bad?" It was more like, "What does what do you take from this, and what do you mean?" And not in like a mystery way, like a like a almost like a David Lynch film where you're like, "What the hell did I just watch?" But just in terms of like, "Damn, there is so much going on." Um, emotionally in this film, that I'm probably going to need to watch it another three or four times to to really unpack how I feel about it, and and it's so pure in that way. It is so like it is not trying to, I guess, tell you anything uh, overtly. It is not trying to beat you over the head with its themes and messages. And I guess that's another sort of staple of Tarkovsky's work is that he respects his audience enough to create something for them to actually unpack themselves and to reflect on themselves and and to to you know reflect on these themes that he deals with like the passing of time uh, and memory and how these things shape our, our lives and experiences so I'll jump into now reading some of Tarkovsky's thoughts and I think like I said at the start you may see a sort of pattern and link to some of the things that I've been talking about on the mirror and if you are wondering, yes, uh, Andre Tarkovsky, is his film The Mirror is the reason why I named this project The Mirror. And um, I think you'll also get a sense of like, for what I've been talking about with like learning from the masters and, and like I said, truly exploring the history of your art form. Sadly, like I said, Tarkovsky died. Uh, in 1986 and he was aged only 54 and he died from terminal lung cancer which is incredibly sad but I think like considering the deep sincerity of his work and honestly the way it so intensely dealt with the subjects of memory and time and some some part of me is I don't want to say gl- glad that he is is gone like I'm not glad for that I, I mourn for that loss in the film world and and, and in the world in general, but some part of me is glad that he didn't live to, uh, you know, he's not, he's not here to see this sort of end of history moment that we are living in since the fall of the Soviet Union and the sort of, um, I guess, domination of like capitalist ideology across the world and the sort of ironic world that we have now where everything is devoid of sincerity and and the state of art, it's almost completely commercialized, um, at this point. And I just think that, I don't know, I don't know how he would have navigated that. I mean, maybe he would have been the balm that we needed to, um, you know, fight this sort of irony poisoning that we, we are dealing with so often in our world, um, and the culture that we live in. But I do think it's really interesting to reflect on the fact that he sort of lived and grew up through not only one of the hardest times, probably the most difficult time uh, that the Soviet Union went through, which was World War II. He lived through the decline of the Soviet Union. the The best days were kind of behind the behind the the, the project by the time that he was alive. But he also saw the rise of like the cinematic art form and experience the not only the birth but also the death of like the true pioneers and i'm not just talking about you know the russian um film theorists who pretty much shaped the way we think about things like uh um podovkin and sergey eisenstein uh sergey eisenstein sorry in, in you know film theory but but also like the what he calls the the true poets of cinema from across the world from from europe from from Japan and Asia, um, you know, he lived through that whole, that whole era where cinema was really defining itself. And I feel like his work reflects both of these things, you know, the, the hard times of his youth living through the, the war, um, the decline of the Soviet Union and, and, and really the, the rise and I guess sort of decline of artistic filmmaking as it is taken over by a more commercialized approach to filmmaking. You know, he reflects on on these things as well as art and the society around him in such a poignant and sensitive and beautiful way. And I think he was honestly the reason why he resonates so much is because he was just the artist for that moment who could navigate the decline of uh, art and cultural history and and leave us with, you know, what is ultimately a pretty brief legacy, but an amazing legacy of work that forms the blueprint for, I guess, how I see we can move forward in art and in life, and and maybe that's a little bit melodramatic, you know. But I, I do, I do think, like objectively, and I guess you know, you, truth is only ever really based in feeling, anyway. So nothing is truly objective, but I feel it objectively. I feel universally that things could be a lot better in the world, you know, we could have a lot better way of doing things. And I think that's that feeling you have inside of you when you, when you compromise on your artwork, when you have to work a job you don't like, when you, you know, settle for something less than than you want in your life or less than you think is is, um, ideal. And like, you know, we can talk philosophically about like, whether people deserve to have a good life or not. But I believe that they do I believe that everyone has the not only the capacity but you know deserves to have a good life I, I also think that we have the ability and the technology and the resources to do that but I mean the the way that the world has been structured and in some ways we are complicit in that in other ways we are it is completely out of our hands you know it means that that's not the case but looking to Tarkovsky's work I see a a universal understanding of, of fellow humans and understanding of truth and me- like I said, memory and time, but also love and faith more than anything, faith, I think. Um, and that's not something that I I really had known at length or understood at length within myself, the idea of faith. But I guess, you know, without taking it in a purely religious context, but in some kind of overarching spiritual way, we all deal with faith every day we have faith that you know things will work out all right we have faith that if you just do this thing and then this thing that your life will turn out a certain way and I think his work deals with that in sometimes tragic ways but in beautiful ways as well and if anything gives me a lot of hope you know for the future and I think if if anything like that's what I think we need is we need some kind of hope and we need some kind of vision like you know I don't want to get too um, too deep in that regard at the moment but some kind of like vision for the future that we can share that we can work towards as a as a species work towards as as people within our communities personally and on a grander scale I mean I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know what that looks like yet but I mean his work along with some other things helps me kind of envision that for the future and I think that really is is the power of art you know is is to is to provide us with not only context for history and and not only looking back and understanding the time uh, the times that have come before but how we can look at these times and understand things that have happened and envision new ways forward that is the role of the artist I think and if that's you know a lot of pressure then hey that's just that just comes with the gig I guess you know (laughs) we don't uh, you know we don't simply just build something or ring something up at a register it's like we are here to paint a picture forward and I guess something I maybe I haven't really connected as well as I would have liked to but I'm still sort of working out is like I guess the state of the culture and art as I see it now is that uh, how overly commercialized it is, unfortunately, we kind of just get this really dreadful, monotonous type of content, uh, you know, type of of stuff that is all the same and doesn't really feel like there's any sort of ambition to it. Like the only sort of um, vision that anyone has for the future is like, well, maybe I could get rich or become a celebrity. And I don't, unfortunately, I just don't think that is is gonna help us? I don't think that is the sum total of what we were put here on this world to do, uh, put here on this earth to do, and it it just upsets me. You know, I've spoken about it before, but I don't like the way that culture is trending. I don't, I, and I don't see a place for real art, whether it's transgressive or whether it's um, you know, sort of following. following the 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 formalist nature of art and and the history of art I don't see the place for it right now when we just get more and more superhero movies you know that's the vision of the future that is being painted right now it's like oh if only this uh if only these you know extraterrestrial extra human forces will come and save us every time some giant calamity happens but it's like yeah, that's not going to do it. It's going to be everyday actions, you know, it's going to be everyday people coming together and and working towards something better. So yeah, that was a little bit tangential, but I won't go too much further into that. But I, I mean, this is just an example of what Tarkovsky's work makes me think about and makes me feel like it truly makes me feel in a way that I guess a lot of the culture that we are, we we take in just really doesn't. And this is why I think it's so important to engage with more challenging art and, and more transcend, more transcendental art, whether it's in the realm of cinema or not. So I'd now like to read a few quotes um, from Tarkovsky and I guess discuss sort of my thoughts about them, their impact on me and, and my practice. So I've kind of selected a few quotes for this episode from a range of interviews that he he gave, and I wanna start I guess I wanna go through this chronologically. So I've I've selected three interviews. One's from nineteen sixty six, which is just after he finished his second film, Andre Rublev. And then he gave an interview in nineteen seventy three, which is right after he Finished his film Solaris that he actually screened at the Cannes Film Festival in France, and then in 1982, which was only four years before his death, um, he gave another interview as well. Well, it wasn't an interview; it was actually at sort of an event where where he presented um, clips from films that meant something to him, and then he also spoke about you know his approach to art. And I just reading them now, it's like you know as time goes on and as you as you delve further into your art form, and, and I'm speaking from personal experience here, and, you know, you interact with different artists and you kind of form like a worldview based on the things that you're experiencing in your everyday life and in the art that you're, you know, um, whether you're enjoying it or not enjoying it, as is the case in a film I watched last night called Funny Games by Michael Haneke, which I think is a very important film. Um, and I'm glad I watched it, but it just made me feel so awful. I would do some research yourself, look into it, but funny games, the original 1997, it's a harrowing film, um, about violence in our culture. And it just really put me in a really bad state, but I mean, Hey, that is the important power of art as well is to make you think about things that are are not so, um, pleasant and nice all the time to reflect on your own mortality, to reflect on your complicity in in you know, the world around you and maybe some, some bad things that maybe you could have some impact upon. So, uh, yeah, I'll start with the, the interview from 1966 that he, that he gave after the release of his, his film, uh, Andre Rublev and the interviewer asked him, what do you consider most important in cinema today? And his answer was, the truth. When an artist abandons his search for the truth, it is going to have a disastrous effect on his work. The artist's aim is truth. Have you read Rossellini's article in Pravda? Com It's about the crisis in cinema. Very alarming. And I entirely agree with him. Rossellini is frightened by the fact that cinema today is orientated totally towards entertainment. I mean, right off the bat, he's... Saying things I totally agree with, which is like the reason that art attracts me in the first place is because it is a chance to be honest about the way you're feeling, the way you see the world in ways that whether you can't quite grasp or explain in your everyday life, or that maybe it's not the right avenue to do that. I mean, I think often about like Tarkovsky's work, but also the work of like, I mean, the film I just mentioned. Funny Games by Michael Haneke and the films of David Lynch, like the way they present ideas and abstractions of ideas about the world, often is a much more powerful way to present it than to just get on a stage and explain it. And quite often, um, I mean, coming back to David Lynch, but he will he will do interviews and he will, you know, he'll speak to the press or he'll do some kind of a uh, some kind of like. Uh, Speech or, or convention work or something like that and people will ask him what does this mean in your work and he will flat out refuse to explain it because he thinks that it's important for people to come up with their own ideas to look at something that they are being presented and form their own opinions about it I mean this is the same for Michael Haneke's work I mean uh, he speaks uh, at length I believe in in interviews he gives about what his work means but he also is not afraid of showing the audience like, you know, basically making them come to their own conclusions about it and to feel bad about their complicity and like the violence that they're seeing on screen or the horrible things that they're feeling on screen as a reaction to our our culture and the, and the media, the role of media in our culture. And I was thinking about like just the way like the idea of the news now is just like, we're going to tell you exactly how to feel. And I know this is how people experience the news and I guess any type of culture. And I guess if I'm honest, podcasts are probably complicit in this as well of like telling you how to feel. And I guess that's why I want to try and, you know, I don't always want to explain things all the time. And and I know I've done this with Uh, the dosing culture episode and I I hope to do it as well with this episode. But I want to make sure that there's room for you to understand things as well. And don't just totally agree with me because if you think, hey, culture is fine and the only point of culture is entertainment, then well, I think that's an incredibly sad way to approach things. I think it's dangerous for the culture and I completely disagree with you. But I mean, that's your opinion and you should have it. And I guess you should have those discussions with other people, you know, you shouldn't just get mad because you disagree with me, but rather you should then think yourself and like think, okay, how can I reflect on this and and explore this a bit further to formulate these ideas? I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I do the most research in the world that I'm the most knowledgeable person. But whilst I make these connections in my daily life and in the research that I do, while while I you know begin to understand things through through watching films experiencing art uh, researching them and, and researching things in the culture at large I then start to feel like okay I am starting to get a grasp of something that I feel like I understand and maybe I completely agree with it or maybe I'm still sort of figuring it out regardless a useful way for me to understand it and process it is to write it down and then speak about it in this podcast because then then I've put, uh, you know, I've, I've put a form, I've, I've created a shape to the idea. It's put out into the world for, for it to be engaged with. And I don't just mean engaged with from the audience, but like I, well, I have to listen to back to the episodes when I edit them, but I will often go back and listen to them, um, sort of at random when I feel like I need a reminder of where I was at with something, because I mean, life is crazy and you have a billion ideas a day. Not all of them are worth writing down. Not all of them are worth giving the time of day. But if they are at least worth reflecting on, I do want to go back and rethink things. And sometimes I'll listen back to a podcast I do and I'll honestly think, like, why the fuck did I say that? Like, I don't really. It's not that I don't believe it, but it's like I didn't really know where I was at with this yet. And I didn't really get to the point. But that. I mean, that's always going to be how it is. There is no like final idea. You know, you're always developing, you're always um, expanding on things further. And I think it's really useful. And that's why I am a strong advocate for journaling. And I'm a strong advocate for myself to journal in this way, in this audio way where who knows what will come out. You know, I can do all the planning in the world, but Ultimately, some other connections are going to be drawn in my head that will synthesize into something else. And I find that incredibly useful. And I guess I've talked to enough people that, you know, they seem to get use from and, and utility from what I say and it helps them in some way. So I would I, I wanted to expand that out in a wider way, hence this project. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with him talking about like the way the way cinema and I guess our culture in general is just totally oriented towards entertainment. I mean, it's all about pleasure. There is no sublimation to be had almost across the board um, unless you are delving into, you know, more, more deeper and uh, more challenging works of art, like I've said, and this was in 1966. So what's that 50, 64 years ago, 65 years ago or something like, yeah, 65 years ago. I could be wrong, but don't correct my math. I'm an artist, not a mathematician. I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) And he was worried about it then. I mean, how is it now? This is why I say I'm almost kind of thankful that he he lived during the period that he did and we, we got to experience the work that he created during that period. Because if I'm honest, I don't know if anyone would fucking give him the money to make a movie these days. And that is the most tragic thing. Like, what would have happened if he lived through the 90s and the early 2000s? David Lynch can't get a project off the ground. Andrei Tarkovsky is not getting a project off the ground. Not in the way that I think it should have been. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe having his voice in the world would have led to better things, but I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a very philosophical question, that's for sure. And like I said, I, m- I mourn for his loss, for our loss, and but I, I'm glad that he lived during the time that he did, because like I said, I think he was absolutely the artist for that moment. All right. So moving on to, um, moving on to the next, the next little, um, response here, but, uh, it kind of expands upon that first question, which was, what do you consider the most important in cinema today? And, The interviewer asked him, what are your own guiding aesthetic principles? And he said, above all, I try to achieve maximum truthfulness in all that happens on screen, in terms of the photography. For me, that means being as close as possible to life. When we started work on the film, Andrei Rublev, I felt we were overdoing it, but now it seems to me that we failed to achieve that degree of precision. Cinema must record life with life's own means. It must operate with the images of actual reality. I never construct a shot, and I always maintain that cinema can only exist by being totally identified with the images of life itself. That is what makes it different from other art forms. That is how it affects the audience. If you start to sketch shots, to compose them intellectually, it will mean adulterating the principles of art. I mean, that one for me is interesting but i I kind of feel like I agree with it in a way, but I also think that my approach is different, but it is based in that like that idea that cinema must record life with life's own means. I think what what cinema does best, and I think the interesting thing about cinema is that sometimes cinema is better at describing or or capturing or presenting the truth in a way that real life can't because it is its ability to I guess I don't know to what's what's unique about film is the way that it is the the main it is like the only art form that specifically deals with time and the nature of time and feeling time you know like it plays with time and, and Tarkovsky was sort of like I mean, he probably wasn't the first to point this out, but he's definitely, he's definitely the person who um, was able to best explain this. And uh, and I have a, a, a quote a bit later on that we will get to to speak about this. But I guess, like, I what I really like about what he's saying there is that we shouldn't try and like overly intellectualize everything. That there must be space for letting life play out. And I guess like, why do we watch cinema? It's not completely because it's a simulacrum of life. I mean, that's kind of what reality TV is, but I guess that's a really good um, comparison there is that like sometimes cinema can be more true than reality TV because reality TV can be completely scripted and it can be completely bullshit and completely artificial in a way that cinema can often, like, strip things back. And I guess, like, it's one of those unquantifiable things that you you sort of, like, what is the difference between film and TV or, you know, like, specifically, like, reality TV. You kind of know it when you see it and you feel it and it has some kind of, like, deep resonance in a way that TV and, uh, you know, reality TV just doesn't. And I know that, like, my thoughts there are probably, like, a little bit rambly, but again, it's like it's, it's a tough one because it's such like a philosophical thing that he is talking about, talking about how cinema is, is totally identified with the images of life itself and then that's what makes it different from other art forms. The way that people behave on television, the way that people behave in like even Hollywood cinema and definitely in reality TV, it's like that is so artificial. That's not what life is like. But cinema, in a way, I mean, it doesn't have to be this way, and it can be many different things. But especially the cinema of Andre Tarkovsky, and you know, the works of other transcendental filmmakers like Bela Tarr. Um, I guess Wang Bing is a, is a great example of this. Ben Rivers, you know, their work it truly deals with time, and it truly deals with, uh, I guess, life in its own way, and it and it tells us something about ourselves. And uh, and I think that like. For me, that's something that you can only learn from the masters of cinema, really that you can only learn from watching the films of the people who have made this art form so so special you know and and have really i don't just want to say like push the boundaries of the form because there are those people, but there's also the people that have developed the language of cinema and the way that we understand like the moving image specifically within the 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 frame of a narrative film I think and and that's that's a really good segue to the next topic that I wanted to go over where he talks about the training at the film school that he went to VGIK and what he said was and and I guess I would agree with this because I've been thinking about similar things lately And I probably read this quote before, but I just completely forgotten about it. And I think it probably just sat in my subconscious for the last, honestly, 18 months. And then over time, I like came to it by myself. I like finally figured out, oh, this is really what I need. Um, But I mean, I guess you'll probably see again, some like similarities between what I've been talking about in terms of, um, you know, discipline and like developing your craft with this quote. So, The interviewer asked him, what do you feel about the training at VGIK? And he said, people have to study, but really, if you want to be a director, you would do better to be in on the making of one long film. The best course at VGIK is the advanced course in directing. It's absurd to spend six years studying in the faculty of directing. You might as well spend 20 years there when you take into account the fact that only 20 percent of the total time is allowed for your specialty. You can't teach a person the art of cinematography any more than you can teach him to be a poet. The profession as such can be taught in a couple of months. Piano playing has to be taught by someone, whereas writing you can only learn yourself by reading books. And of course you have to be taught how to be an actor, only they're not being taught the right things. They don't know other languages they can't ride, nor can they fence or swim or dive or drive a car or a motorcycle. Doubles have to be used for all of those things. The actors can't pronounce their words properly. They are not natural, but on the other hand, they pass dozens of exams. What they need to be taught are things like hygiene and diet and intense physical exercise. But all that has to be done professionally. VGIK ought to enlist the services of leading cineasts who know how to teach. In my view, film actors should be taught by good film directors. Sergei Gerasimov is right to teach actors and directors together. At the moment, a lot of people straight off the street are being taken on as actors, and quite rightly, they will have parts in films and they will become real actors because they know what they want. But there are plenty of VGIK graduates who imagine they are fully-fledged actors or directors when in fact VGIK is merely a place where you can get a good degree. The whole thing only starts after VGIK, when you leave. The main trouble with VGIK is that the professional is not interested in it. None of the studios know anything about people at VGIK. It's vital to break down the wall that separates VGIK from film production. I think they ought to have a year's practical, working on an entire production, a year of specialist study, and then a year of practical, working on a full-length film. Or maybe the other way around. The practical year first, and then the institute. The point is that VGIK can't go on being divorced from production. When we first came into the studios in our fourth year... We felt as if we were in some dense forest. The rules there were different. We had to do things that we hadn't been taught. On the other hand, a studio can't guarantee work for 20 people. And then how should candidates be selected? I only realized what I wanted to do when I was in my fifth year. Before that, I hadn't the slightest idea why I'd come to VGIK. Only after working under Marlen Kutsiev did I begin to understand that this was something real and important and art. Earlier, I had been working on screen adaptations and working with actors, but without knowing any of the whys or wherefores. I wanted to become a director, and I imagined I only knew why, but in fact, I only really understood why very recently. First, you have to be bitten by cinema. You have to ask yourself if you're going to be able to do something in cinema, and only then should you go and study. Lots of people who graduate from VGIK have a difficult time. We don't have a satisfactory selection system, and so there is a tremendous amount of wastage. We remain oblivious of all the endless psychological tests that exist to establish what a person is likely to be good at. Surely there must be a way of finding out about somebody's professional potential. Then of course, nobody actually knows what it takes to be a director. That ought to be established. One is told that it is not possible to develop any system of that kind, but the fact is that nobody is giving it any thought. One way would be for the student to be apprenticed to a master, as they were in the old days. Apart from all that, how can anyone live on 28 rubles a month? The students are quite simply unfit for work. It's hardly surprising that no one will take them on. Engineers are needed all over the place, but directors are pretty well redundant. A director only becomes necessary when he has proved that he can do things better than other people. Then he'll be an artist. All the rest are doomed to eke out an existence on the periphery of art. the periphery of cinema once a person has been studying one thing for a year or two he hasn't the courage to give it up and start doing something else there ought to be quite a different form of training they ought to see more films the whole new wave was a result of film critics sitting in cinemas and watching quantities of films it's important to see the work of the great masters and know it well in order not to start inventing the bicycle there aren't so many of them perhaps five Dovzhenko, Bunuel, Bergman, Antonioni, Dreyer, and one or two others. And then there's no time at VGIK to read. All you have time for is getting through the reading for the seminars. You don't read beyond certain works or even just extracts on specific themes. That's very bad. A person can only really assimilate what he reads when it has time to become a part of him. If they were to read more at the institute and watch more films, they wouldn't then start inventing things that have been invented long ago. I mean, I know that's a long quote, but like, holy shit, I just, it just like, you know, this is again, 1966 and he's just put into words something that I've been trying to understand about my own, um, you know, experience at university, but also my own sort of feeling of inadequacy within this, within this field and looking around me and and I've spoken about this before, but looking around at like the other filmmaking practitioners that I know, and this is not to throw, uh, you know, them under the bus. But, like, we don't know shit. We don't know anything about films. We don't know anything really about film language. And it is such a rampant thing in the commercial production space as well. Like, I, I, I was sort of listening to this podcast by a filmmaker. And he's a commercial filmmaker who's been doing it for, like, 15, 20 years. You know, he does good commercial work. And then on the side every now and then he'll create... um he'll create like low budget, you know, narrative films. And I kind of looked into them and I look at like the things that he's focusing on. And it's like, it's like he understands like the parts of a film, but he doesn't exactly know like why he's doing it. He doesn't really have anything to say. And I can see it in his work and I can also see it in the people around him. Like I looked at the reviews of a film that they created and all of the responses are from filmmakers and all of them are saying like, damn, the cinematography is so good in the editing and like, damn, that color grade looks like Blade Runner. Like, damn, how did you do this? And it's like, all they care about is the technical aspect. And it's the same thing with the filmmaker. Like the things that he's talking about, it's like, he'll talk about how to do it and what he's doing. But why? Like that, that why question, I just don't see it being answered anywhere. And I, and I think it's like what Tarkovsky says is that people people need to be bitten by cinema like in, in, in that intense way. Um, otherwise, you're just going to kind of do it because you started doing it and you don't know what else to do. And that is such like an encapsulation of my experience where I just kind of got into it because I was interested, you know, and I thought it was cool and I think a lot of people do that. People like movies and they think it's cool and then they do it. And then once you get into it that's where like your interest in education ends and that was totally me you know if I'm completely honest like I, I just got into it and I've done it for five years but I I've said like I didn't watch any movies I didn't do any research about it I cared about what what um you know what camera was cool or how does this lens make something look and and everything that we do and and I see it like in like I just said that example of that filmmaker and all the the filmmakers saying how good his work is. Like that is the life that I lived. And that is, to me, that is not art. That is not cinema. That is just commercial filmmaking, you know, where you're just focusing on the, the practical elements and you don't actually care about story, about truth, uh, about, you know, creating some kind of like connection and understanding within people. And I mean, I did read one review of, of, of that that filmmaker's film and it was basically like yeah I didn't really like this just left no impression upon me and I think that that's the that's the problem is like when you go down that track when you forget to watch films when you forget to you know be a part of like the lineage of history and like Tarkovsky even said he was like that's when you start feeling like you're you know inventing things all the time but if uh What did he say? I just want to read it here. If they were to read more at the Institute and watch more films, they wouldn't then start inventing things that have been invented long ago. I mean, there's, there's the argument that probably a lot of these commercial filmmakers like myself actually don't have any training or, uh, you know, theoretical or, you know, university level understanding of film and cinema, which I don't. And everyone else I know does not either you know, we may have studied at university and like I did a, a a new media arts degree, but like I didn't learn anything about film. I learned a little bit of history, a tiny little bit um, in my first year and that was about it. And then I just picked up a camera and started going and like, sure, that's fine. I mean, do what you want, of course. But I think like I can see the connection now between what Tarkovsky is saying and then the state of affairs with you know, film as it, as it were, and especially like commercially based film production, like just that, that missing piece of art, like there is no art to it. There is no soul. There is no humanity. Um, and and that's, that's where really giving yourself over to something comes in. I love his idea about, you know, seeing the work of the great masters, but even more than that, I love the idea of the the two-year film degree where you spend one intense year on a real film production and then you spend one year studying intensely in your specialty at the institute and i think there may be um you know film institutions who do this now but i would still say probably it's not quite possible and like he says like it's not that simple and it's probably not easy enough to do because you've probably got more people wanting to do this than are actually capable or good enough and I mean, I guess that's a something to be said. It's like, w- do we want to have completely democratic art where everyone is able to do something but it means nothing or do we want to have real artists developing their craft and being able to put something out there? And I say this not to position myself above anyone else or to say that I am one of these master craftsmen but rather that I am humbled before you know, the history of art and cinema I am humbled before it, saying, "I do not understand, but I am willing to learn. I'm willing to do what I think it takes from listening to people like Andre Tarkovsky and and people who've come before me and learning from them uh, but that's no guarantee that's no guarantee that I will ever make something that hits that level. you know I'm not saying I'm going to be the next Andre Tarkovsky. I have no illusions of that, but I would least would think that like the only truth that I really know in my life is that I'm going to die. I think that's the only truth that we all know. And I think that I want to feel like I have expressed myself and been understood or at the very least have allowed someone else to take something from my experiences in the world. And I think that is kind of a selfish pursuit in a way, but I mean, how could it not be selfish? How could anything in this world not be selfish where the only thing you know is that you will die and that you are in your mind? That's the only thing that you can sort of be certain of, that you are in your mind attached to a physical body. So from that, you feel like, okay, there's no meaning to the world. So you need to create meaning somehow. And for everyone, that's going to be a different thing. But for me, the more I learn and the more I understand And I guess it's been like this since I was quite young. The more I feel like art is the avenue that I think I can have the most impact. I don't think that I'm going to be impacting in any other way, you know, that I can provide anything for this world in any other way. It's just the thing that makes sense to me. It's the thing that resonates with me at a spiritual level. And I guess if you're listening to this, it's probably the same for you. Or if it's not, I mean, that's fine, you know not everyone has to be an artist and everyone should be an artist. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a rewarding lifestyle. I I watched an interview with David Bowie and he was, I think it was like in the nineties and he was basically saying like, it's not a pleasant experience. Like it is not, he, he feels like he basically feels like he's exercising a demon when he's creating. And he created some of the most amazing music of the last 50 years, 70 years, goddamn, like consistently, you know, So even even towards the end of his career, he he was not in a place where you know he has material comfort. He had you know a good life. He had he had things that he uh he he was he had achieved. But even then, it's like it's not like it becomes easy. And I don't really think it's ever been easy for me either. I don't get the sense that it was really easy for R. J. Tarkovsky. And I think that's why I I love how candid he is about his beliefs and his experiences. And it's really helped shape me into, you know, at least getting to this point in my career, which is honestly early days. (laughs) Like it's like, you could basically put a marker down now and just say like, all right, I'm at the start. Or maybe if this is a hundred meter dash, if your life, if your career as an artist is a hundred meter run, you know, a race, I've maybe taken the first step. I don't think the first step has reached the ground yet. (laughs) (laughs) but that's 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 how it is you know and like I, I feel I don't know I feel happy about that I feel like peaceful about it to know that like oh I have a long way ahead of me but I can see the road now what was I watching oh my god of all things I was watching the uh the Super Bowl this year and you know it was pretty exciting like I'm not a huge Sports fan, but I have like an interest in this sport because of the the hype around it. I guess like the spectacle of it, um, and, and for for Tom Brady to leave his team that he was with for his entire career, the New England Patriots, go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then at the age of forty three, his first year there, to uh, to not only get to the Super Bowl and play against the reigning champions the kansas city chiefs you know um their quarterback patrick mahomes who is also an amazing athlete but to dominate them the entire game and to come away with the victory and for tom brady to um to basically win his seventh super bowl championship which is you know that's the record no one's ever won that many before like this driven man who has just done amazing feats of athleticism I mean I'm not going to gas him up too much but just like it was very exciting and humbling and special to watch and and someone made a quote uh someone someone sorry not made a quote someone said um about like you know the the coach I think was being interviewed and 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 he said like you know because their team wasn't really doing very good and then within one year of having Tom Brady and Sort of the 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 approach and some of the the talent that they attracted because of that signing, um, it was either the coach or the owner said like you know when you want to know um, how to get to how to get further down the path, what you got to do is ask somebody who's already been there. And it's like they wanted to become champions and they did it because they got Tom Brady and they listened to him and they let him take take the lead and you know that was that was exciting and and I'll be honest I don't even remember why I'm telling this story I've completely sort of <laughs> lost my mind but it's like I guess if we're talking about you know the masters and talking about learning from like experienced people that's that's what you got to do and I am I'm the rookie like if we're thinking about this as no longer a running metaphor but an NFL metaphor I'm the rookie and I'm trying to learn from the masters and that's where I'm at and I think that's pretty a pretty good place to be, you know, with an open mind, with a, a rejuvenated focus to actually feel like, to quote Tarkozy, like I am bitten by cinema at this point. I am truly bitten by cinema and I don't know where it will take me. I don't know what my work will look like yet, but I think it's still, like I said, I'm, it's it's the earliest days, but things are starting to to take shape and to take form in my life and things are starting to I guess, head in that direction to head down the path. And I'm excited about that. And I guess like it's been part of like what I've been talking about on on this podcast, but I would hope that for yourself, if it's something that interests you, if you do want to, you know, attain that level of like higher craftsmanship that you go and learn from the masters, that you put yourself out there into positions that are challenging. you, You take on board things that, i guess aren't just pure entertainment you know like you're not just watching marvel movies that's as simple as it is like if that's all you're watching that's the only thing that you can possibly draw upon as a reference and even worse than that what i used to do i would just watch commercials i would only watch commercials and i think that is that is like the most infantile and reduced and uh stagnant form of filmmaking. I mean, yes, pretty pictures, sure. But you're selling commercials. Like that's what you're doing. And that that you just you just become really a shadow of a filmmaker at that point. And and I don't mean to belittle anyone who does that. Of course, I've done it for the last five years. I have friends who do it. I don't mean to say you are a bad filmmaker. Like technically many people are absolutely amazing. But you are not an artist. That is not the same thing. You're not creating art by its nature. It is not art. And that's just a reality that you have to understand. And if that's okay with you, then that's awesome. You know, if you don't want to create art, then that's fine. And I have filmmaker friends who create commercials who don't want to make art. But I have other filmmaker friends who desperately crave to make art. And I guess all they do is watch commercials, make commercials, watch Marvel films. like. So if you're listening out there and we're friends and you think this may be you, this is not me calling you out. I'm just saying like I'm I'm going through this experience and it's been mostly really positive and helpful for me. Like I said, I'm not the expert, but it, it's just like this is a process that's helping me and I would hope it would help you as well. So I hope you can take something from it. Um, We've actually hit the one hour point and... I guess I've thought about going a bit further but you know I I think I might leave it there and we can continue this as a series. Like I said I wanted to speak about his work and you know the 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 writing and the words that that and and thoughts that he gave us in the world Andrei Tarkovsky um but I don't I don't want to um you know overload things. I want to keep things as not super digestible, but at least like somewhat digestible. So I might leave this episode here today. And I think, honestly, I thought I was just going to read the quotes and just have like a few thoughts, but I obviously uh, went a bit further (laughs) with my thoughts, which is totally cool. That's what it's about. But, you know, if you're interested in his work and you've honestly never experienced it before, or if he's uh, completely new to you, I would say, yeah, start with the film Stalker. I mean, you can buy Blu-rays of it, but it is online in different places. Um, the film Stalker from 1979, I believe, um, give it a go. You know, it, it'll be challenging if you're not used to his kind of work, but just go into it with an open in mind. And you might, honestly, you might really take something from it on a deeper level that you don't even know how to process. Like I said, I, I I'm still sort of processing it and I need to watch it again a few more times, I think to take something further from it, but it's a beautiful film. Um, absolutely one of my favorites and where I would start with him. And, uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it here today and, and thank you very much for listening. Um, thank you for all your support with the show. You know, you can always get in contact with me via my website. I've got a contact form there if you want to talk about these things. Uh, more at length or if you have any specific topics that you would like me to maybe um, address. I, I sort of, I like to keep my, I guess, editorial independence. I sort of don't like to crowdsource ideas for these things because otherwise I feel it can then sort of start to get a little bit watered down. And that's kind of my problem with the last project that I had is that I just kind of didn't have a direction for it. So at least when I'm, you know, maintaining the topics, I know that my interest is strong, and that I'm able to, you know, talk about these things for an hour, an hour and a half at a time. But I often find that, you know, the things I'm talking about bring up interesting questions in other people and interesting topics. So, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out to me just to talk about some things, and maybe it'll end up in a show or, or an episode, or maybe, um maybe we'll just chat about it. Uh, it doesn't really bother me either way. Like. I've spoken about this project as just an extension of my daily thought process of my, um, you know, me figuring out these things. And I hope it can be that for you as well. So, yeah, thank you again for listening. Um, I'll speak to you again next episode. And I'm not sure if it will be a Tarkovsky follow up straight away because I do like to sort of just let things go where I feel like I want to take them but we will definitely be returning to the life, the work, and the philosophy of Andrei Tarkovsky. I hope you all have a great week, a great weekend, and I'll chat to you all again soon. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Mirror. The Mirror seeks to provoke questions around the way we create and experience art and it's my sincere hope that in some way it helps you in your own creative practice and perhaps your life beyond. If this project reaches you in some way, helps you reflect or reframe, or indeed provokes any kind of feelings within you, I'd love to hear from you about it via the contact form on my website. I really appreciate your engagement with The Mirror. You can support me and the work that I do by becoming a sustaining member for as little as $40 a year, by signing up at justinreed.com.au You will help me continue to create exceptional work, feel great about directly funding compelling art, and you'll also receive a bunch of great benefits, including access to exclusive films, artworks, and behind-the-scenes material on my membership platform that you can't experience anywhere else, discounts on my online store, and higher-tier subscribers even get free access to all of my premium films before anyone else. So become a sustaining member and sign up at justinreed.com.au You can also support the show by subscribing to my YouTube channel and listening to full episodes of The Mirror There, complete with meditative, original visuals created just for this project. Our fantastic music is written, produced, and performed by Annalisa Vitrugno, with drums contributed by Giacomo Greco. All of these details and links are included in the episode description. And until next time, I hope you're out there creating great work on your terms. I'm Justin Reed, and you have been listening to The Mirror.